0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. So before we get to our guest, I just wanted to share a little bit with you about where I'm at right now. Our baby, Cecilia, just turned six months. And as a lot of you know, I took a break from actively auditioning to take a more um, steady day job to get the maternity leave, to allow us to make this leap into parenthood. And I'm getting itchy. You know, the maternity leave happened, and then when I had to come back to work, that carrot wasn't at the end of the stick anymore. So I was trying to listen to the advice of one of my lovely guests, Pepper Binkley. Her father always told her to have something to look forward to. So I was trying to figure out what was the next thing I could look forward to with this job. and. I figured maybe there was something when I have this really steady paycheck that I can, some financial goal that I could set that would be um, satisfying. So I decided to pay off my remaining student loans from Juilliard before our 10-year anniversary of graduating this May. So I started making some large payments in February, and I'll have the remainder paid off by May, right before the 10-year anniversary. So I'm really excited about that. I'm proud of that, and I wanted to share it with you. I'm working those baby steps trying to find positive outcomes where I'm at and I'm also looking to get back into acting projects, so hit me up. So my guest today is Charlotte Bidewell. Charlotte is an actor, dancer, and creator. We went to Juilliard together where she was in the dance program and then she went on to go to grad school for acting out of the old globe and is making her own work at a furious pace. She is a bold, energetic artist and I've wanted to share her story for a long time. You can check out her website, charlottebidewell.com, for more information on her upcoming projects. And I hope you enjoy the 131st episode of The Compass.
0: 10 years since we finished school, mm-hmm. I have learned so many strategies for taking myself out of the dark places. And I've just been realizing this week, how little I actually use those tools. Mm. <laughs> so there's like a very long list of amazing things that I at various times have utilized right. to pull myself back to creativity or just general sense of joy. <laughs> and, um, uh, I mean, meditation is a huge thing for me. Um, that's one
1: you do utilize regularly? Well, you know, I was <laughs> in
0: a very productive way when I was in graduate school for acting out in mm-hmm. California. And I feel like people find meditation in California. That's kind <laughs> of something that happens. Um, and I was doing it and I was in this incredibly productive phase where I just felt like all of this brain gunk cleared. Mm-hmm. And I was writing more and I woke up in the morning and I was energized and I wanted to do my craft. And like, I my mantra at the time was, um, let the passion for what you do rise to the surface. And I felt that in such an intense way. But then the meditation place where I was going ended up being a sort of cult situation. Oh, no. And I got involved in this very. Dark world of um like homophobia and, and not being allowed to have personal relations with the men that were meditating with me. So like they wouldn't come to my shows, but the woman women would come and I ended up, you know, they oh, wanted me to enlist in this group and there was gonna be celibacy involved. I mean, it just what? got very weird.
1: This is not Rex. It was not what I expected. What I, expected. <laughs> I, I was... thought you were gonna say I just got busy and I got distracted. No, I mean I wish
0: it was something, you know, just like oh my, my I moved away from it in my own way, but actually it was a very um, tumultuous time.
1: How did you get out of it.
0: <laughs> well, luckily I was in therapy at the same time, which is what grad school insurance allowed me to yes. do, which was lovely. That's
1: where I, I started going to therapy at Juilliard when it was free. Oh yeah. That's
0: mm-hmm. actually my mom. Her biggest memory of Juilliard orientation week was one of the actors at this panel for the parents saying like his Juilliard mantra was get thee to therapy <laughs> <laughs> because like the therapists are there in the dorm room. So like go, right. um, but it took me till grad school till I actually went. But she, this therapist I was seeing at the time, I was explaining the events at the meditation studio to her, and she very clearly was like, You have to stop. I oh <laughs> cannot go. This is not right for you.
1: <laughs> and so, have you found a way to keep it in your life? Well, without... that's the problem. I haven't. Because was... you started like going to a physical group, not just doing it on your own. Yeah,
0: just like me and this group and this sort of philosophy and way of meditating, which mm-hmm. was so powerful for me and very effective, which is what made it harder to sort of see that it actually was very flawed. Right. Um, And I have tried since moving back to New York. I've looked at different groups and gone here and there, but I sort of have like cult PTSD. Like I can't, if anyone starts to try to enlist me in anything, I'm like, go the other way, like (laughs) run out the door immediately. So that meditation thing that was so powerful, and I still know intellectually is powerful and like does need to come back to the fore of my Mm -hmm. daily existence is just a bit tarnished right now. So... I've kind of lost touch with it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, things like Alexander Technique, which are very related to meditation, have also proven to be so useful to me, Um, especially coming from a dance background, that time to reconnect to my body and to use my brain to influence how I feel physically. Um, it's just like a hugely powerful tool that I, again, don't do as much as (laughs) I should, even though I'm saying right now that it's good for me. And the times when I am religious about it and, you know, disciplined in that way, I feel the difference within a few days. So it's just about, I guess, a sort of personal rigor to keep those positive practices alive. Well,
1: speaking of Alexander Technique, like they always Mm. talk about renew, like renew the thinking, renew the thinking, and that's kind of what I feel like we always have to do with reminding ourselves about these things that we know are ways out. We know them.
0: always go back to something that my voice teacher in grad school said about learning because you know with the voice it's so kind of fluid and things happen in your environment and then you lose something that you learned the week before Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, or you get nervous and then all of a sudden everything clamps up and you don't have the vocal ability you had yesterday so she would say that learning is like a spiral staircase and you always kind of feel like you're in the same place but actually you're just getting a little bit higher up the staircase all the time and that was a really powerful thing for me in my education and like taking that in as I was going to classes every day. But then now I'm I'm seeing how it's true in my in my positive practices too, <laughs> that I move away from them and then realize their benefit and come back mm-hmm. to them. And just hopefully over the course of the next decade, I'll spend a little more time <laughs> in the positive ones.
1: <laughs> what does the dark side look like for you most often? What is, when I say that, what does that mean to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the dark side is right around the corner all the time. I feel it's very present in my every choice. Because um, decision making is one of the hardest things for me. Mm. And that's present at any moment, really. <laughs> you know, like what are you going to eat right now? Uh, what time are you are going to go to bed right now? Like those small mundane things are at times very challenging for me. And then the bigger choices of like what project are you going to commit to for the next six months? Or, um, you know, what path are you going on with your career and what's that going to look like for the next six years? Um, so I, I find that the darkness is just this chaos that I could descend into so easily. (laughs) If I just like open up the doors, it's right there and I can go crazy in it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you get around that? Like you've made some very like strong turns in your career. Yes. Going to Juilliard for dance, then going to grad school for acting. Yeah. Now you're kind of like mixing them all together and making your own work, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. Um, How did you get over that speed bump of like indecision?
0: (laughs) Well, it's funny. I think that one of my tools to combat the indecision and the darkness is reconnecting with a sense of fearlessness that I had very strongly as a child hmm. so I made a lot of really bizarre choreography as a kid <laughs> like where I played men and I mm-hmm. you know was doing dances to a metronome when I was eight you know very kind of like out avant-garde. there yeah very avant-garde and actually that's why Juilliard came into my life because when I was um, 13 14 I met a ballet teacher from Juilliard and she came to Montreal where I was growing up and We did a choreography workshop, and I made this very bizarre dance. And she was like, "You know, you should consider going to (laughs) Juilliard. I mean, I'm 13, you know, like." But (laughs) yeah, yeah. she's like, "I need to cultivate your talents." At the time, it was a different director of the dance program, so it probably Mm -hmm. was maybe more apt to my my skill set back then. But anyway, so I I just find that I can overcome my indecision and my panics and my neurotic tendencies by doing something terrifying and at the same time unbelievably thrilling Mm -hmm. so like over the summer I did stand-up comedy a couple times because I felt like I was in a bit of a rut and I was coming off of having made my first film and it was going into the festival circuit and there was just a lot of waiting right with a lot of rejection and a lot of just questioning about what's the next project after such a big sort of creative birth
1: (laughs) right Um, especially when you're waiting to see what's going to happen
0: Yeah. And like I had never done this before. I'd never been on a film track. Um, I'd never produced something that could exist forever, you know, because I'd always made live shows that once they happened, they were kind of done. And then Mm -hmm. it was about pushing the product to get the show to happen again versus just like I can send the Vimeo link to anyone and anyone can see this movie. So there's a different type of business mindset that I have to have now. Um, but I kind of was just feeling a bit lost and confused and, and dark. And so someone I met in a bar <laughs> ended up being a stand-up comedian. And I was, had had a few too many margaritas. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to do stand-up. And he was like, well, I could book you for next week.
1: Oh my God. And then
0: I just felt like, well, this has to be a gift from the universe to, right. like, you know, a slap in the face to get out of this rut.
1: How did it feel once you had done it?
0: Horrible. <laughs> it was so horrible.
1: But you did it. Yeah, you survived I it. I did it and I that did it again. Feeling.
0: Which just also shocking. <laughs> I mean, I've never been more terrified. That was really the one thing that I thought you know, minutes before it was happening, before I was the comic on stage, I have to leave. (laughs) (laughs) I have to get out. Like they can say my name, but I will not get on the stage. (laughs) But I have this, you know, when I'm in scary situations like that, I'm also um, so conditioned to do what I'm told that if I've told myself to to Hmm. get there and I'm in the room and I have the routine, there's no turning back. Do you know I've, what I mean? Like I trick I myself into it. I love how you
1: just <laughs> said that, how you're conditioned to do what you're told, but you're using that to your advantage by telling yourself what to do. I've kind of learned a lot that. Of, I feel yeah. like I like. there's a part of me that definitely has that like good girl mentality that I was like right. raised to be good and nice and do what I was told. You yes, know? totally. And it's something that I have to break out of as when know. I'm in a... Yeah, like a decision-making process, or as an adult. Person. Yes,
0: totally. And I feel like, especially with a you know a rigorous dance training through adulthood, um, and like early adulthood and our adolescence and adulthood, I have this sense of like I need to take care of myself always. Like I, my body needs to be well. I need to be rested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm always like sort of conscious of my well-being, and um, when I let that take over I miss out on the fearlessness of just like get out there you're fine you can do this you're so much stronger than you think you are um so I have to trick myself into those situations (laughs) (laughs) yeah and something I've been telling a lot of my friends who are asking me for advice on getting creative projects off the ground I just say like apply for things
1: well that was the question I was going to ask you like with all of this self-producing you're doing Mm -hmm. um and these solo shows or things you're collaborating on, are there resources that you found that were really helpful as far as finding grants, finding festivals? Like, how do you – or is it just a Google search? (laughs) There is definitely
0: some Google searching. Um, Where did you start,
1: like, discovering all that stuff?
0: I think – I mean, the first thing – if I remember correctly, that I did out of school on my own was my big solo one-woman show, mm-hmm. Woman of Leisure and Panic, which has now become like the brand of my life. <laughs> and as much as it's I tried to distance title. myself... I, I know. It. It, the title started the whole thing. Like There was no piece. There was just a title. And then I lived three years as an adult outside of school, and all of a sudden there was a piece. <laughs> um, but that... I don't even remember now how I found it, but I applied for a solo show festival. And I... I guess I saw it online, or someone forwarded me an email, and the deadline was like in three days. So I had those three days. It was like over a weekend to write the piece mm-hmm. and formulate language about what the piece was about and what my intentions were. And so I and went from zero to done.
1: From the application process, how long was it till the actual show?
0: Like six months or something. Okay. And I spoke about the piece as if it was made, even though there was no piece.
1: <laughs> so there was <laughs> a lot of catching you need up to that. Do. That deadline. Yeah, that's
0: what I find is that if you don't have a deadline and you're I maybe lack a little bit of, you know, imposing my own deadlines. I need an organization to come in that I've, I mean, obviously I've sought out the organization, so it is still independent at a certain level. But um, I need somebody to come and be like, this is what we need by this day. And then I'm like, great, I can do that. There's no question I can do it. But I need the date. I need the time that this is due. (laughs) So maybe that's the good girl thing again. Yeah. I do well with rules. Um, But yeah, so that was the first thing that I did and that, you know was a a handful of performances at in the basement of PS122 mm-hmm. and that opened up a whole world of downtown theater and solo showmaking and then from there it's like you get on one newsletter which leads you to some other grant which mm-hmm. you're on another newsletter that leads <laughs> to something else and it just kind of all flows together in that way yeah um but i do encourage people to like seek out something to apply for because it forces you to think about the project you dream you dream of like really get serious about it and put something concrete on the page.
1: Now what is the film you just made? Is that a solo performance as well or do you it have other is. performers? Yes it's just
0: me it? and I play three men <laughs> of different ages. If so. you want
1: to send me the Vimeo link I oh, would I'd love, love to see it. I should have said to you before we talked. <laughs> I know yeah. I should have asked.
0: It's, um, it's actually strangely I think of it as a continuation of Woman of Leisure and Panic. Mm-hmm. So what I've realize now looking back is that Woman of Leisure and Panic is kind of my 20s and it really Mm -hmm. encapsulates the struggle to organize your own time and how do you become your own person away from you know people telling you this is your schedule these are your goals and I've moved in now to this next series of pieces called What Am I Doing which is like after (laughs) you've been in your 20s and then you're ending and you're coming towards your 30s you're like okay well I did all these things have I gotten any closer to where I wanted to be? <laughs> and yet my time is really full and I'm really busy, but like with what? <laughs> yeah. So um, the film is is this little thing called the nude model, which I imagine will be part of this larger work. And um, it's an experience I had working as a nude model in New York, which was one of my side jobs for a handful of years there. Mm-hmm. And I went to this art teacher's private drawing session on a Saturday morning in the Lower East Side. And there was only male artists there, which was you know, not what I expected or wanted. Interesting. <laughs> and I was told that all the females were out of town that weekend. <laughs> How convenient. Okay. <laughs> so I posed for all these men and um, it became apparent that this was like their bro time. Like, they just were talking about anything under the sun. Their girlfriends, hot celebrities, you know, women's periods, having birth, what it does to the female body. And I'm there on this plush oh rug. My God. You know, just, like, trying to keep it together. And then they start talking to me about these things and about my body. And no one's drawing. <laughs> I mean, somehow they did make work, which was what was so fascinating about it because they were both being these awful people but creating really remarkable work.
1: Was it did it actually feel like it was a class or was it like a group of friends who decided this was their gonna be their like dinner party? Yeah. Together? It was
0: more the latter, yeah. Okay. It was like a bunch of teachers from this one school that get together for their time on Saturdays.
1: Oh, and teachers. That's even weirder that they I would know. do that to somebody. I
0: know. Like they should know of anybody what the sort of bounds of propriety are in that situation. Right. So it was a fascinating moment, and I did go back a second time <laughs> because <laughs> I realized midway through the session that there was going to be a piece here. Interesting. And it's funny, I mentioned that meditation thing at the beginning, that's also going to be a piece that's part of this What Am I Doing um, series. I so that. I do rely a little bit on my life going into weird places in order to then <laughs> feed the work, <laughs> which doesn't really promote leaving the dark side because the dark side is so, you know, fruitful. <laughs> Strangely
1: and unfortunately, perhaps too. I don't know. Um, how has the producing side of it been? Do you find that to be draining, or have you come to enjoy it?
0: I have come to enjoy it. I've come. Um, one of the things I've really learned is how much joy I find in supporting other people's talents. Um, so, again, like one of the things I'll do if I am feeling down is is see a friend perform. And the joy that that brings me and the inspiration that I find from, you know, somebody that I know just takes the subway every day is actually this, like, incredible singer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So when I'm producing and I'm able to give a platform to, you know, this incredible set decorator that I worked on on a short film the last year to be able to pull them into something that I'm doing and for us to work together and for my work to be enhanced by their vision – is just incredible. I mean, it really is equally as satisfying as doing the performance itself or writing the script. Um, So I guess what I am most excited about now is just having a lot more of that, being able to have more opportunities for myself to then give those opportunities to the people that I want to spend more time talking to.
1: We talked a little bit about day jobs before we started recording. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How have you been able to find a balance with like... The financial side of putting your work together, day job, spending time having to promote your work, things like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a real challenge. I mean, I feel like I haven't solved it yet. Like I'm maybe at the beginning of having some clarity Mm -hmm. after 10 years of that struggle. And I think, I guess what I've learned is that I have to be more forgiving of myself and of my career and that it's okay if there are times when the day job has to take over a few more hours and not to let that be a sign that the career is failing, right. <laughs> um, which is really <laughs> <I understand>. hard. <laughs> yeah, that's it's right just <laughs> a balance. And yeah. um, to rejoice in the times when I don't have to do that's those side projects because I'm involved in a in a creative process that's really engaging and fulfilling and time-consuming and financially um, profitable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also sometimes if it's my own work especially, I have to double down and do a lot more of the side jobs in order to support my own project coming to fruition. And that feels harder and harder the older I get. And the more I see that there is money out there and people are finding it, so then right. it becomes, why can't I find it? <laughs> right. Or why can't I find it more consistently, maybe, is the thing I have to remember. Because it's easy to feel like nothing is working, nothing is happening. But I have to be like, wait, well, that thing just happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it was two weeks ago, maybe it was two months ago. But like, there is some trajectory
1: moving forward. Right. So like having a little more faith, I guess. And you were saying that you were teaching some exercise classes right now as yes. your day job. Yes. Do you find that... Interest since it's tied to the physical body as you as a dancer or is you it know, is that it weird is the,
0: that is the goal of doing that as a side job that I mean it's it's a bar class so right or is eases. it weird because
1: it's just not the thing you actually want it to be like it's not a dance class. most
0: days it's that most <laughs> yeah. days it's and it's also um, I find it a bit limiting at times because it's not a class where I'm working with a group of students consistently over a period of time you know some clients yes are coming all the time other clients are kind of shifting in and out some people are new so you're balancing all these different levels and the type of correction that you get to give remains at a certain plateau Mm -hmm. so for someone like me I feel like I have a ton of information to give about the body I only get to give a little piece of it so when it is frustrating it's really for that reason right But then, of course, you have the rewarding moments where like someone realizes what it means to untuck their pelvis (laughs) and their (laughs) life is changed. (laughs) And you're like, great, I just gave you that, you know, at 7 a.m. on a Wednesday. So those are those are great moments, too. I don't know. I'm also dealing with an injury now and um, I had this foot injury, so I can't be as physical as I want to be and I sometimes even get jealous of the clients who can be you know mm. I'm giving them these classes that I want to be taking myself right. so it's it's there's many layers to that onion
1: <laughs> I'm sorry to hear you're oh, injured
0: that's all right it's just a thing we move through
1: mm. can I ask since you grew up in Canada mm-hmm. um how does that affect the way you're able to work in the U.S. like with your visa oh, yes stuff?
0: well that you know is a, I know
1: it's so complicated
0: it's yeah that was a real struggle for many years Um, I mean, anyone who's gone through that knows it's just the sheer expense of getting those artist visas is, you know, I was just so blessed that um, my family in different ways was able to cobble together the funds to make that possible. And I had different choreographers or artists that I was working with at different times in my life that stepped up to support and um, sign off on the application. But it's part of the reason I went back to school. Yeah, so I was working as a dancer and on this artist visa and that was all actually fairly straightforward because it's not a unionized craft. Mm -hmm. And then when I started moving into acting and I was getting jobs that would require me to be equity, it became very challenging because equity doesn't have the same rules that the government has. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you're approved by the U.S. government to be a working actor or working artist, let's say, in America, equity will not accept that unless it's a green card. which, yeah, is a huge...
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of um, foreign actors that I've now met and spoken to about this issue in New York. It's a huge roadblock because you do the challenging thing. You make it to New York. You have the visa. you spent the money on that. You've proven your excellence. The government agrees. Mm -hmm. And then the union is like, well, not yet. So when I... I got into this production at Williamstown, and I applied for my green card in order to be Equity, in order to do the show, and it lasted, you know, I had, the, like, a temporary work card for the duration of the show, but then the green card was denied within a month of the project ending. Oh, no. So then I had joined Equity but was now on leave from Equity. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> can it was can just I get my dues back? <laughs> yeah, I was like, so what do, what do I do now? Like, I can't I can't audition anymore. Like, what, do I, what am I going to – my green card was denied. Like, clearly I don't have – the whatever necessary film credits are like right. my face on a movie poster, yeah, <laughs> so that um, they can think I'm worthy of this merit. Uh, so then I went back to school because I, I was like, all right, I'm going to be on a student visa again. I'm going to gather this skill set that seems necessary you know, for my own artistic progression, but also to get the level of credit that the green card requires. Mm -hmm. So it is always at the back of your mind. Like I have to spend my time doing a thing that's going to build the resume in the right way, make a shiny program, (laughs) maybe generate a review, You know, all these things Mm -hmm. that the green card application holds so dearly, which maybe if I didn't have that, I wouldn't even consider as a factor in my choices. Um, But then I was very lucky after grad school, I did get my green card. Maybe I just had a better lawyer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Our Times had changed, but so now I am on the green card, and it's been such an incredible relief. Oh, I just it, get yeah. to do what I want to do in that way now.
1: Now um, you just have to worry about getting the job. Exactly. Which is yeah. Now I'm, I'm just worrying about
0: employment. <laughs> <laughs> I can stay in the country for ten years. It's fabulous. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I don't really think I have any intentions of becoming American. You know, I think the green card was enough yeah. to settle me for the time well, being. Well, I was
1: going to ask about what the the industry is like in Canada if you've thought about if that's really an option yeah or... I mean it definitely I mean I grew up going to Stratford oh I... yes
0: Stratford <laughs> like, is incredible dream about I know I, I, I it's funny now because I I haven't ever been in Canada as a working professional right you know so I don't I feel like I don't know and I mean I know
1: Montreal is a hugely artistic city.
0: yes and for female choreographers it's like the place I mean for whatever reason we
1: went Three summers ago to the big music festival. Oh yes, the
0: jazz festival. Um
1: not the jazz festival, oh. the um Oshiaga. Oh nice. And nice, we nice. saw Radiohead there. Oh and we just fell in love with the city. Yeah, it was an incredible
0: place to grow up. I mean yeah. I was so blessed to be at the dance studio where I was, which is where Springboard happens. Mm-hmm. So a lot of New York dancers are familiar with it. So it was a very rich, you know, place for contemporary dance and Quebec is a bit of a matriarchal society, strangely. The women of the house tend to lead the way. I know. Sounds it's lovely. Very lovely. <laughs> and a lot of you know, mari- or people are together and have children but aren't married, and there's mm-hmm. very strong women who head the household. So it has created this world for female choreographers to emerge in a way that I don't think they have anywhere else in the world to that same level. Um, so when you think about big Quebec choreographers, most of them are women. That's awesome. And they have huge infrastructures for their companies you know it's not just like they're sort of working independently they have buildings (laughs) they have full-time companies that tour internationally so I mean it would be an incredible place to return to but somehow when that presented itself as the only option with immigration like okay you don't have the money for this visa right now or the visa was denied go back to Canada Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I couldn't even fathom the idea it would it felt like a, a regression in a strange way
1: right I'm sure in some part, like after living in New York City too. Yeah. It does feel like such a hub.
0: Yes, it does. And I, I would feel like I was in Canada wanting to come back to New York. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's just by because we went to Juilliard and I feel so connected to that community. And a lot of the work that I get now is still because of mm-hmm. that community in the strangest ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm very thankful for that. And I don't feel like I want to be too far away from it.
1: Yeah. What does your family think of you in choosing the arts for your career?
0: Well, my parents are in the film industry. Okay. Yeah, my mom is a product placement person. She was one of the first people that ever would get hired by a film or TV show to do the product placement specifically for them, as opposed to being hired by a brand and mm-hmm. then seeking out opportunities to place the brand.
1: Okay. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah. So sort of flipping it. She was working out of Montreal, one of the first people in the world to treat product placement in that way. So she does you know, a lot of the big projects that um, come around. And then my dad is a retired TV commercial director and set designer and stuff okay, like that. Cool. So um, I think it was a shock for them, honestly, when I moved from dance into acting, even though the two are very close together. Right. You know, It's right. not like I was going off to become an engineer. It was the thing adjacent. And I used a lot of acting in my dancing and continue to use a lot of dancing in my acting. But I think my parents were fearful that I was taking something that I had spent my entire childhood, adolescence and early adulthood, practicing and getting better at and going to Juilliard for and was throwing it away is a strong word, but sort of like putting it to the side.
1: Well, especially when it's something where like just physical ability, you have to like keep up.
0: Yes, and you only have that level of ability for so long. But because they're in the film world, they also were aware of how challenging it was to be an actor. And they were like, Can Charlotte act? (laughs) (laughs) I think that was a question for a couple of years at least. Like, will she successfully do this? We have no reason to believe that she can. You know, she, they, they, I'd never spoken on stage before. <laughs> I didn't even know the sound of my own voice. <laughs> so it was a huge moment for, you when, for me when my dad came to see me in my first play yeah. and was like, oh, yeah, okay, you're you're okay at this. Aww. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks, dad. <laughs> yeah, Aww. I felt like, all right, so we feel a little bit better about this choice and this little redirect.
1: Are you an only child?
0: No, I have an older sister. Okay. Yeah, who's a, a rugby player, actually. Oh, cool. She's a, played for the US team for many years world cup stuff and That's awesome. Yeah, we're very um we're like very high achieving physical discipline family <laughs> even though my parents are so unphysical. <laughs> I love
1: that. Yeah, it's very strange. It's very strange. Uh do you have any artistic mentors that have been important to you along along the way?
0: I definitely had many in my youth um this dance teacher from Juilliard Alexandra Wells who I met when I was 13 14 she helped shape my trajectory to Juilliard.
1: I feel like I've had several Juilliard dancers mention that. Yeah, she is a a very strong force. um,
0: And she approaches dance pedagogy in a way that most people don't. She's very forward-thinking. She's very attentive to the individual and what are your specific um, gifts as a dancer and how do we bring those to the fore and who do they fit best with. Yeah, Yeah. I, I mean, it was remarkable to have that woman in my life so early and she I mean I don't think I would have gotten to Juilliard without her she really told me which summer programs to go to (laughs) which choreographers (laughs) to have my solos done by like it was very guided in in the best way um and then she worked in in close collaboration with the director of ballet divertimento um Susan Alexander who helped form Springboard she was sort of like the other piece to that puzzle Mm -hmm. so the two of them were my Sort of my my people.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it was really really lucky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very lucky. And it's funny in the acting world, I feel like one of my um, sadnesses is, is that I haven't had a consistent mentor in that same way yet. Yet, perhaps okay. yes, yet. But in other, on the flip side of that, it also makes me very proud that it's something that I did completely on my own. Right. You know, I I woke out of woke up one morning and looked at Playbill and went to audition for the Flea Theater's company. Um, on the very last day, I got there at the last minute because I had woken <laughs> up so late and didn't even know what was happening. And I joined the company and that was, did my first play with them. But that was something like I could very easily have just gone back to sleep right? or not opened that email. Like it was such a fleeting moment, but it was completely in my control to manifest. So I feel proud of that. But then as I've gone forward and have had to make decisions about what projects to do and what schools to go to and such and such... I felt a lack of a kind of guidance from someone further along in their path. Right. Yeah, with a little more information about how it could all go down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are there any lessons you've learned in the last couple of years that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about? It can be something small.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like I got like, hit in the head in December with the idea of patience. It just and I I've heard it even on your podcast spoken about by other people and my parents from the industry have told me many times throughout my upbringing that like it takes somebody mentioning your name three times before they call you and it could be years between those mentions <laughs> and you don't even know that your name is being spoken of and right. then all of a sudden out of the blue. You get this call and something amazing happens.
1: And you're like, it's been 10 years. (laughs) Basically, yes.
0: I just did uh, this project. I was choreographing for a new television show. Mm -hmm. And I worked with the creator eight years ago on something that you could never have imagined would lead to this. And we haven't spoken in eight years. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and he was at a party with mutual friends and mentioned needing a choreographer and remembered they mentioned me. He remembered me from this other thing, didn't even know that I choreographed. (laughs) I mean, it was just so bizarre. That's
1: fantastic. And then
0: it manifested, and he took a little bit of a leap of faith to give me this, this position because he had history with me. And I still now the project is over, and I still can't get over it, that that is how it all went yeah. down.
1: That's beautiful.
0: It was really beautiful, and it happened within a few hours of a similar thing happening with a playwright that I worked with six years ago. We have a new project coming up um, in the fall, and he called out of the blue. And I had convinced myself after that project six years ago that I had let him down in some way, because it was Isn't very that funny, totally <laughs> the opposite of what I had led myself to believe. I know. It was shocking, actually. That was at the very beginning of my acting career and I at that time I, I felt like I could audition well but I couldn't actually do the projects. Cause I, 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 I didn't have the tools yeah. to like make it through to production. <laughs> I could like prepare, I could coach well to like give you a great monologue or give you this scene, but then who knew who knew what <laughs> after that? And I felt like I had disappointed him by the end Mm. gone from like he was super excited at me or about me after the audition to like well that was a bit of a letdown we don't know what happened to her there (laughs) and then it took six years and we're working together again and he's very excited about it and I'm very excited about it
1: I feel like I have to teach myself that over and over the fact or coach myself Mm. to be like you know what the other person was probably worrying about themselves the whole time and probably (laughs) didn't notice anything about my anxiety totally, or, you know, thought I was perfectly fine or whatever. Yeah. And
0: also, Mm. I mean, I've been tracking this playwright through these last six years and he's been doing projects where I thought to myself, like, oh my God, I could be that part. Mm. You know, he's doing this play. Why isn't he calling me for this? But you don't know what you actually represent to someone. And there's maybe something about that character that he doesn't think is quite right for me and I can't be the judge of that and now the right thing has come along and he has called so just building some faith in (laughs) in other people in my own practices and abilities and performances um but this idea of coaching yourself I think ties back to what I was talking about at the beginning I'm I slip away from the positive practices because my self-coaching is not maybe as strong as it should be does that make sense (laughs) just like building that that strength of mind to pull away Mm -hmm. from the negative chatter and the um the doubting and the worrying towards more positive mantras really
1: yeah how has it been for you working in all these different mediums since you graduated from grad school like
0: with tv stuff and film stuff yeah it's very strange it's um it's what i wanted for myself, mm-hmm. and it's what I still want for myself, but it is so hard because you. I don't f- always feel like I'm building momentum in my career because the momentum is spread out right. across so many different um, pursuits.
1: And does the the Old Globe doesn't do any film training, does it?
0: We did a little bit, but it wasn't, it was more like practicing TV sides versus like right. looking at yourself on the screen and right. checking out what your face is doing. <laughs> um, and it was only sort of like briefly at the end. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was very theater focused. And I think that's going to change now with Jesse Perez, who's going.
1: I'm to, so excited. Yeah, that's going to be a really, <laughs> really
0: wonderful thing for them. I'm so thrilled yeah. about it. Um, but yeah, it's, I've had, I've done a lot of thinking about this question like how beneficial is it for me to be spread in all these ways how satisfying is it really in the long run like would I be more satisfied if there was a single focus and I could track that progress Mm -hmm. and feel it more tangibly Um, or is having the opportunity to spread my wings and test myself out in all of these arenas what gets me off, (laughs) you know, clearly on some level it does because I keep doing it. But, um, also in, in taking other people's feelings about the type of career that I have, like I've had some sort of Titan-esque people in the industry that I've met and had a chance to speak to about my career be like, oh, you, you can't do what you're doing. You're only going to be successful if you're an expert in this one thing and Hmm. you do it every day. Like if you're going to be a filmmaker, that you watch every film. So all night you're watching movies. You're like watching all the greats and you know them by heart and you can say who the DP is and who won the Oscar in 1987, you know? Um, And that this kind of, you know, multifaceted career is just like watering too many lawns. Your life is going to disappear and you won't have made anything of yourself. So having that said to you is a very scary thing. Yeah. And I don't sort of like brush it off. I, I reflect on that a lot. And it's balanced with other people being like, Well, in this day and age, if you're not doing many things, you're failing. You exactly. know? Exactly.
1: I feel like now <laughs> now more than ever yes. people are many different faceted
0: many and like I, I think actors hustle, are being encouraged being to be producers and directors and writers. and writers yeah to do the web series thing or whatever it is to put on the show mm-hmm. um however inexpensively um so I've just I've, I've I've absorbed so many different opinions from the outside about it <laughs> and I am stewing on them and exper- experimenting within my career about what is feeling right but I just feel like I have so many dreams and I work a little bit on them always. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and the thing that's so great about what you're doing is because you're making your own work, mm. for the times when you're not getting the jobs that other people are bringing to you right? or spearheading, then you're still being productive and you're still moving forward. Yeah. Because that's the frustrating thing is that even if you say, okay, I'm only going to do on-camera acting or... Yeah, I only want to focus on classical theater. It doesn't mean people are going to give you that job. No, totally. <laughs> yeah, just because you <laughs> decide frust- it's happening. <laughs> most frustrating thing. A hundred percent.
0: And even I mean, within your own work, there's the same kind of frustration. Like you might be like, I want to be, like right now, one of my focuses is creating a, this series of of works that will hopefully be some kind of um, internet series of sorts, and. I want that. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's going to be very challenging to find the um, the support and the means to make it possible. Right. So if you have so many lofty things <laughs> and you want them all to happen, you're waiting for a lot of gifts from the universe. Yeah. But again, with the patience thing, and faith is a big word for me, but not in a religious sense, like in having faith that all the things that the the work that I put in, the dreams that I have, they are in motion already. The universe wants the best (laughs) for all of us, (laughs) even though it's very hard to remember that. Um, And having faith that the present moment you're in is a step on the the road to where you want to be. I just do a lot of self-talk about that.
1: (laughs) I should do more of that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's funny because I just had, I switched my thinking about that just three days ago. Mm -hmm. I used to think to myself... To have faith in the future, which put a lot of pressure on um, this idea that like there's somewhere I'm going that's not where I am now that's better, uh-huh. that's like more successful, happier, right. more fulfilled, and I'm just struggling now to like right. get I'll to be that happy when place. I get that. Exactly. I'll be happy when all these things are happening and I'm living in a different apartment and my student loans are paid off and whatever, whatever. <laughs> and now I'm just I'm trying to take the pressure off the future and bring it back into the now. And be like, I have faith in this present moment that everything that I am aspiring towards is in motion. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It was a big switch. I've been trying to start doing gratitude lists, which are a big thing for a lot of different people. I feel like Oprah might have started that. (laughs) But yeah, they're very popular now. But I do find that's one of those things that I should do every day and I yes. do it like once every couple of weeks. <laughs> Gratitude. <laughs> but I'll just do it in yeah. my head too and it really does help me in the moment to be like, okay, yeah, I'm really grateful I have every foot of my head. Yes. I'm really grateful I have a family. I'm really yeah. grateful, you know, just to take the importance off of yeah things that really, you know, that you want but they're not life or death.
0: Yes. And also, I, f- I find in this multifaceted career that I'm managing (laughs) (laughs) um it's difficult to to acknowledge when something you wanted has just happened to you hmm. so I might be in the middle of a project that like eight years ago 10 years ago even 20 years ago was something I really wanted to do and I really wanted for myself and I'm doing it right now and I'm just as miserable as before I started it uh-huh. you know what i mean and i am really <laughs> like whoa
1: that is not cool charlotte like, that puts it in perspective that thing we were talking about before about thinking that you'll be happy once you get that exactly, thing exactly
0: because you're getting the true. thing right now and here you are having some kind of panic about something I know. Um, and i'm really that is one of my biggest goals for myself is to snap out of that and be grateful be aware oh. be be present in in the unfolding of these dreams and I've also noticed that the dreams happen in ways that are unexpected and not like what you actually dreamed, but yet the result mm. is what you dreamed. <laughs> so for example, my um, short film, The Nude Model, it premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. And I had always wanted to take my solo work to the Fringe Festival. But I would every year I would open up the application and get so daunted by <laughs> <laughs> bringing my piece to Scotland. And they don't really produce you. You kind of have to select your own venue, and you don't know what the venues look like, and it's a whole to-do. And I would just begin and then immediately stop, and then out of you know this bizarre series of events, I made this movie and it world premiered there because just three years ago they started a film component of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and so I got to go without any of the hassle of self-producing, <laughs> <laughs> and I got to see my work shown there. That's awesome. And I still look at that and I'm like, wow, that is an example. Like it's yeah. an example of how it can happen in ways you never <laughs> expected, and you have to be. Cognizant of that and take a moment to rejoice and be yeah. grateful for it.
1: This is good. This is good for I'm so glad you're telling me this today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's in unless there's something that I have not asked you about that you really wanted to talk about, I have two little questions left.
0: Um, no, I feel like if I say any more it's gonna be a little <laughs> too
1: like a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> start telling you about my troubles with Hello. gratitude. <laughs> okay. So yeah just two short questions at the end um, when you do find yourself in that like uninspired dark mm-hmm. place are there any tangible things that you go back to again and again like yeah. music or books you reread or yeah, things you do
0: there's um, a quote by Anna Devere Smith that was brought to my attention during our time at Juilliard mm-hmm. and I can't remember actually I think it maybe was one of the teachers there who gave us a book that we all read of Anna Devere Smith's and she said something about how when you are most inspired when you come back to the moment where, you, when, as a child, your heart first opened.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that there was just this thing at a certain age that you first felt inspiration, or you first felt like you were moved by something. Um, and so for me, traveling back to Canada, to the cottage where we spent summers growing up, and being in that sort of rugged natural cold landscape <laughs> is where so much happened for me as a child yeah. and we you know where I, I kissed the first boy and like fell in love and had these crushes but also like was alone in nature and mm-hmm. um so I do seek to go back there as often as I can because it resets me um and then things that are attached to that so like the music of Neil Young if I just listen to that I get brought into that place so in a way, I'm still so Canadian, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so I yeah I look for those like those couple of songs like some of the Joni Mitchell songs that like my parents mm-hmm. would play and the car ride to the cottage, they open my heart in the way that it, they did as a child, and that always I find grounds me and sets me on a course towards an, a new creation, I which love is that. lovely. Yeah.
1: And then finally, is there anything of any art form that you've seen recently that you want to recommend? Oh my gosh!
0: Well, I was at a friend's cabaret on Friday night mm-hmm. at Studio Fifty Four, and it was only a one-time event, so I, no one can go to it again. But <laughs> um, I would—I just recommend like going to see live singing. I Just—I maybe it's—it's it's, for me. That's really what. Of all performances, I feel the most inspired
1: by. I wish I was a singer. Yes, so that's my biggest that's disappointment. I <laughs> when I go to things like that and hear people who can really sing, uh-huh. it, it just feels like such a free mode of expression. Yes, yes. I'm like I can sing, but I can't, like. Sing, sing. And I, yeah, that is, I wish, I wish I had that.
0: I know, I, I pray for that every day. And <laughs> it, was, it even began when we were at Juilliard. I felt it was the opera singers mm-hmm. that I was the most astounded by, especially because they were so young and they were at the beginning of their training. So, mm-hmm. you know, as dancers, we were getting into Juilliard. We'd already been training for a decade at a high level. Otherwise, you weren't going to get in. <laughs> and these opera singers were kind of like coming out of nowhere and had these huge voices that just erupted from their mouths. And that fascination has continued, and I think it's part of why I gravitate towards Shakespeare as an actor because it's the closest to singing. Mm-hmm. It's really about like using the voice and using the words and having that be the instrument. Um, so for someone who can't sing, <laughs> if I can do a Shakespeare monologue well, according you know, or like in a way that I feel it, um, connected to it, then I I feel like I've sung a little aria. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. And there's a few singers that I will seek out. There's this woman named Storm who performs with Company XIV that I've also worked with. Okay. And she is someone who every time she sings my heart opens again and I mm-hmm. cry on the first note. So <laughs> I'll always, you know, look for her and recommend people to look for her performances. Great. Yeah.
1: Anything else? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was a delight. Sure. Thank you for listening to The Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content, and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.